Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. We all can't help but wonder what adventure lies just over the next ridge. A Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada will take you there. If you're taking on your adventure in a new 2024 Nissan Rogue, class-exclusive Google built-in is your always-updating assistant to call on for almost anything. Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system of the 2024 Nissan Rogue. Nissan's SUV has the capabilities to take you where you want to go. Learn more at NissanUSA.com eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There's plenty to celebrate in March. And ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Bullett, and I am an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as he always does, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Do you see this? This is my boomstick. All right. That leads us to a little listener mail. This listener mail comes from Damon, and Damon says, Could you please do a podcast on how the Gatling gun works? Because I saw it on Mythbusters, and I was wondering how it works. Well, Damon, we're going to talk a bit about the Gatling gun today. Uh, it's an interesting piece of technology, but to really understand how the Gatling gun works, we need to go back further and talk about just the principles of firearms and how they work in general. Yeah, we actually have already touched on a very, very early firearm, uh, the arquebus. Yeah, we uh, talked in our, our tech of 1500. We, we kind of went into this. Wasn't that 1510? It was 1510, technically. Okay. You're right. Someone our, the will tech call of, and correct us. The tech of 1510. And uh, uh, so 
going back to around the mid of the 14th century, mm-hmm. that's when we first started seeing, uh, not we personally, I wasn't around back then, don't yep. know about you, Paulette, uh, but the, that's when cannons first started to hit the, the scene in medieval Europe. Yes, but uh, they were they were very inaccurate, and so they missed the scene part of the time too. <laughs> Couldn't hit I'm the broadside of a barn. But yeah, the the, the cannon was the uh, probably the earliest form of gun. Yeah, um, I would imagine it probably was simply because they wanted something that would create it, uh, <laughs> something that would fire a big projectile. Right. Yeah. And, and a gun that that actually is a good point. A gun in this definition is uh, basically a tube. Yes. Uh, sealed off at one end. Um, that uh, that can fire some sort of projectile. Yeah, and it has uh, at least the early cannon. The way they worked is they had a hole drilled uh, toward the sealed end, where you could place a lit fuse to light the gunpowder. So you would the way you would load a cannon is you would pack the gunpowder into the end of the cannon. Mm-hmm. Then you would load the shot into the cannon. Sometimes uh, with a either uh, either with some sort of cloth wrapped around the shot, or you'd actually stuff wadding down there to yeah. mm-hmm. to seal it really well. You put the shot in. You put a lit fuse into the hole that mm-hmm. lights the gunpowder. The gunpowder ignites and essentially it explodes. It burns so quickly that that it we have to call it an explosion. The uh, the gases that are given off when the gunpowder explodes propel the shot out of the cannon. That's where you get the 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 force you need to blow something up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the uh, the arquebus uh, and other similar weapons like that, other cannon like that, um, those were known as, as the, uh, at least the ones that Jonathan is describing here, are known as matchlock. Yeah. The uh, the lock is the, the mechanism that uh, is is used to ignite the, the powder in this yes, case. Yes, yes. So um, it's basically a very tiny hole, and people would stick a... a, a, a uh, some kind of fuse, I yeah. guess, really often a piece of string yeah, that would rope. burn down into... I mean, you could also stick a match down in there, but, uh, you know, it's very, very difficult. To, there were a lot of problems with it because it's not something you can do in the in the rain. Yeah. Yeah, there were actually a lot of problems. So so let's talk about some of the early guns. The oh, sure. early okay. guns were essentially like uh, handguns. Mm-hmm. The earliest guns were really nothing more than that tube that you would hold and it usually took two people to fire one of these. One person would hold and aim the gun. Mm-hmm. The other person would stick the lit match or lit fuse into the the hole to light the gunpowder, mm-hmm. and then you would fire it off. Uh, eventually, you got to the point of having handguns, and again, it was still really hard to both aim and fire this thing at the same time because you know holding a lit match and then uh, getting your target in view and then putting the lit match to the hole that's pretty tough. So the matchlock was. A huge benefit, right? It was a big leap forward. Yeah, yeah. And then, I mean, the the bigger leap forward being uh, the flintlock. Right. So the matchlock, what it would do is you would have usually a little a little pan that would mm-hmm. hold some gunpowder, and you would pull a trigger. the The lit fuse would be on the end of a lever. Pulling right. the trigger would lower the lever to the pan. It would light that gunpowder, which would go into the breech of the uh, of the gun, mm-hmm. lighting the main charge. Right. Okay. But as Paulette was saying, if it's raining, well, and you've got powder exposed in that little pan, you may not have your gunfire at all. And also, you had to continuously make sure that your your match was st- stayed lit. And at night, yeah. you would have problems because you would be visible because you had this little lit match. The flintlock was a big advantage over the matchlock. Yes, yes. I can imagine now people going, huh, there's an awful lot of 
fireflies out there tonight. Right. Might might want to aim at those big guys. Yeah. Yeah, So so the flintlock had a a hammer, which was the 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 section of the gun that would hold the flint. You'd have a piece of flint that would be wedged in on the hammer, Mm -hmm. um, and the hammer was activated by a tumbler that was connected to a spring. When you cocked the hammer back. Uh, you could. It had three three different positions: uncocked, yes. half cocked, and fully cocked. So when you say go off half cocked, that's that's where this comes from. Which is kind of ironic because you would want it half cocked to load it, and that was the one place. Well, uh, between half and fully, uh, when it's half cocked, it can't actually fire. That's right. You would pull the trigger, so. and there's a little lever that would that was up against the tumbler, right? Mm-hmm. So the tumbler has notches in it. At the half-cocked notch, this notch is so large that when you pulled the trigger, it wouldn't clear the tumbler. So it would not it would not make the hammer, uh, it would not release the hammer. So there was no way you could accidentally, theoretically, if the gun was in good shape, there was no way you could accidentally fire it prematurely. Right. Now, when it was fully cocked, then it would be in a, a slightly shallower notch. You pull mm-hmm. the trigger... It releases the tumbler, which is under tension from a spring. The hammer flies forward, and the flint strikes a steel plate. Mm-hmm. And that creates sparks, which then light the gunpowder inside, an, again, a little gunpowder pan, which usually had a cover over it. So you could theoretically fire a flintlock in the rain and, and still have a good chance of it going off. And again, gunpowder lit in the pan would go into the uh, the the breech of the gun, firing off the main charge. Yeah, the uh, the little piece of metal is known as the frizzen. Yes. Um, and the frizzen spring is what makes the the flintlock weatherproof because um, it's what's got the cover that's attached to the frizzen over the pan. So it's it's basically due to the design, it's covering the the pan where the the powder is. Right. Stored. Exactly. So that helps uh, that helps right there. So what happens is when the flint hits the frizzen. This sounds really weird, right? Yes, it is. When the flint hits the frizzen, it uh, it actually lifts the pan, the lid of the pan up. The yeah. force of the blow lifts the lid of the pan up. The sparks hit the gunpowder, and the gun fires. Mm-hmm. And then, as soon as the gun has is uncocked, the pan uh, after after the initial impact, because the spring of the is that's attached to the frizzen is under tension, it'll pull the lid back down. Mm-hmm. So again, you would have to half cock. The, the flintlock in order to load it again. You would actually load it by putting gunpowder directly into the breech of the gun, but you would have to put a little bit of gunpowder in the, the frizzen pan mm-hmm. for it to work. Otherwise, you just, you know, the sparks would not make it to the main charge. So this sets the, the stage for the next huge leap forward in firearm technology, which was the percussion cap. Yes. Now, the percussion cap was a uh, a, a tiny little device that uh, was actually it was essentially a, a chemical compound, mm-hmm. uh, and it was mer- mercuric fulminate, combination of mercury, nitric acid, and alcohol, mm-hmm. and it is uh, very shock sensitive, which means if you hit it, it blows up. Well, there you go. So you what the earliest percussive cap uh, percussion cap. Guns had a little, uh, well, they called it a nipple. Mm-hmm. It's a little protrusion that you yeah. would put the cap on, and you would cock the gun back just like a flintlock. Sure. And it the the it had a hammer that when you pull the trigger, the hammer would come down, hit the percussion cap, which would cause the initial explosion that again lit the charge inside the gun. Right. What really really brought warfare to a new level was when we figured out how to put the percussion cap, the charge, and the bullet all together in a single cartridge. Yes. 
And initially, uh, I believe uh, people were experimenting with paper cartridges. Yeah. But uh, they weren't as uh, as refined as when they developed the metal cartridge, which is what we are still using now. You see that, uh, you know, if you look at what most people think of as a bullet, uh, I would say the majority of what most people see is the, the brass cartridge. Yeah. Uh, which is the bottom part of the bullet. It's the part where the, the, uh, uh, the firing pin strikes and... Uh, launches a projectile from the gun. Yeah. Yeah, that's the whenever I think of bullet, I'm thinking of the full cartridge. I'm not yes. thinking of the tip. Now hunters and, and oh, sure. soldiers, of course, they're going to they have a much better knowledge of this sort of stuff. But I think for the layman, when we say bullet, you're thinking of the thing you put in the gun, which mm-hmm. technically is a cartridge. Right. Um and yeah, it has three sections. There's the primer, which is mm-hmm. the percussion cap uh, there's the the propellant, which is the gunpowder or you know other propellant, mm-hmm. and then you have the bullet, which right. is the tip that that actually fires out of the gun and hits your target or whatever, sure. whatever the gun happens to be pointed at. Actually, mm-hmm. so in this case, the the big change here was that guns now had a firing pin. Mm-hmm. That would strike the percussion cap so that that's what would ignite the propellant and push the bullet out of the gun, which meant that you had a spent cartridge in your gun yes. afterward. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm sorry, it looks like you're just about to say something, so I'm going to shut up. Well, there, there's something that we also need to address, too, yes. which is the barrel. Yes. Of the gun. Now, I mean, up up until this point, too, roughly, I'm uh, not being exact here, we've been sort of talking about, uh, for the most part, muzzle-loading weapons. Right. Where you actually put the bullet, uh, and in this case, in the earlier weapons, you we were, were speaking of a, a lead ball yeah. as your bullet. So, yeah. Or, uh, you know, a shot in a cannon or a different... You, you know, grape shot or whatever it is that you're firing on there. Right, so right. let's say projectile. So you're pushing the projectile down the tube and, you know, loading it yourself by hand up until we got to the cartridge point. But um, the thing is, in order to make that, uh, well, not in order to make that, it, for the most part, when they started out, they were smooth, what they call smooth bore, which means it was, you know, the insides of it were smooth. They were polished and, and it was easy to push a bullet down there. Well, they also figured out, uh, you know, probably around, um, I believe, the, the 15th century or so that that's not really the most accurate way to get a projectile to its target. Right. By rifling the uh, the tube, the uh, the barrel of the gun, you could do a lot more. You can actually uh, uh, add some uh, some distance, and you can improve accuracy as right. well. And initially, those those uh, weapons were uh, had barrels that were straight, had straight grooves in them. But eventually, they discovered that a spiral groove would give would improve accuracy and Range right. It makes it makes the shot spin. Right, but it's very difficult to muzzle load when you have a spiral groove. Right, because it's like little ridges, right? Yes. So it's 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 like pushing something past a series of ridges. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not going to load as quickly or smoothly as a smoothbore uh, rifle or smoothbore barrel. So breech loading sort of takes the uh, uh, that problem out of the way because at that point when you have a, a breech loading weapon, then you are you don't have to push the projectile all the way down the muzzle and get what's what's in the barrel out. Right. With breech loading, you're putting the shot in toward uh, toward your end, the end mm-hmm. that doesn't have the deadly part pointed at you. <laughs> 
See, I'm not worried about I'm not worried about looking like an idiot because I am one. Yeah, no, yeah. Uh, no I, I know many of the parts of the gun, but I really honestly don't know what you would call. I mean, talking about the stock and the, and the trigger. Sure, and, sure. Um, but yes, if you've ever fired a, a breech loading uh, rifle before, you know that there's a uh, a handle down there that you use to lift the uh, the breech bolt out of you know and, and pull the cartridge out you could put a new cartridge in lock it into place and then fire the weapon right it loads the bullet or the cartridge we should say yes. exactly where it needs to be mm-hmm. that's a big that's a good point because that that was one of the things that that gun makers had to to figure out in order to make uh, to make cartridge firing weapons useful I mean you had to have the the percussive percussion cap uh, positioned at the right spot so that mm-hmm. the firing pin would hit it at the right point to to make anything happen, right? So we're at this point we're right around the 1870s. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so the flintlock was that was way back in the 1500s, and percussion caps started coming out in the early 1800s, mm-hmm. and then by the 1870s that's when we're starting to move to cartridges. There were some cartridge firing weapons during the Civil War, mm-hmm. but uh, 1870s was when they were really starting to get perfected. Yeah, we're we're to the point where we have very efficient weapons, but they fire basically one shot at a time. You have to right. load the load the gun, fire the gun, pull the spent cartridge out, and then put a new cartridge in and fire the gun again. There were a couple of exceptions. There were revolvers, True. which could fire between, well, depending on the revolver. Mo- right. The one we're mostly familiar with is the six-shot revolver. Yeah, right? six-shooters. Six, six-shooters, yeah, the Old West. So it's, these were the ones that had these six cylinders uh, that would rotate as you were firing the gun so that it would put a, a new cartridge in firing position mm-hmm. every time you pulled the trigger. The way that worked, and it's important to understand this because it kind of plays in with the Gatling gun that we're going to get to in just a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way that worked is that when you pulled the trigger, mm-hmm. the trigger actually had a, uh, a pawl attached to it, P-A-W-L. It's a component of a ratchet. Okay. And what that did was it pushed against the revolver's cylinders so that it would turn it one-sixth of a turn, or however many, to move the cylinder in the right position. Right. It would also, at the same time, cock the, the trigger back. And if you, when you pulled it all the way to the end, if it's a, if it's an automatic revolver, then the trigger, uh, the, the, um, the the hammer comes forward, hits the, the the firing pin, moves into position, hits the percussion cap, and the bullet fires out of the gun. Uh, you still have a spent cartridge inside the cylinder, but mm-hmm. a new cylinder will move into place as soon as you start pulling the trigger again. Right. Some of the early revolvers, you actually had to pull the hammer back yourself. Uh, you couldn't just pull the trigger and have the hammer come back. You'd have to cock it yourself, and that's what would ratchet the the cylinder into position. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't long before they figured out ways to to make that more closer to an automatic uh, process. Um, so if you have a you would have to remove the spent cartridges out once you've finished firing and right. put new new cartridges in. So there was no way to make that a continuous uh, firing method. So it still was it was an improvement over the old fire once reload once method. Right. But it was still not the weapon of destruction that the Gatling gun turned into. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, before we get to the the Gatling gun, which was uh, you know basically essentially an early machine gun yeah. of sorts, um, there were other attempts over the years. For many, many years, in fact, I know you, you wanted to speak of one very famous inventor who tried to come up with a way to fire multiple 
projectiles at right. once. Yeah. So um, I mean, this is not the, the idea of of having multiple projectiles or you know rapid fire projectiles coming from cannon or or from uh, smaller guns. You know, this isn't this isn't new to uh, Mr. Gatling. No, no. Actually, uh, if you want to really look at some some cool designs, mm-hmm. a certain Mr. Leonardo da Vinci came up with a pretty clever one. Uh, as far as I know, he never made one of these things, but it was mm-hmm. a design he created, right. which was a triangular uh, mount that held 11 cannon to a side. Okay. So each side of the triangle had 11 cannon mounted to it. Right. And the idea was that you would load all 33 cannon and have them ready to go. And then you would aim it at your enemy, fire the top 11. So, so the, so it the was an invert, inverted pyramid. Right. Yes. The point of the triangle is facing downward. You fire the, uh, the 11 on top, rotate, uh, do a third of a rotation and then fire the next 11 and then do a third of the rotation and fire the final 11. Uh, you could not, of course, load the cannon as you were firing them because you would very rapidly run out of men to load the cannon. <laughs> As they were burnt and blown up, mm-hmm. but uh, but the idea was that it would be such a terrible weapon mm-hmm. that no enemy would dare attack you. So it, it was that whole concept of I've got a stick big enough that no one's going to bother me. Yes, it wasn't really necessarily meant as a as an actual weapon of war. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, one of the biggest problems of any kind of weapon that would fire uh, several times in a short um, in a short period is that. The barrel gets really hot, mm-hmm. and so the early experiments with uh, with machine gun type of weapons meant uh, resulted in a lot of barrels overheating, breaking, sometimes exploding because the metal was too weak to contain the explosion of the gunpowder inside it. Yeah, and so they had to find a way. Someone had to find a way of creating a gun that would be able to fire rapidly without overheating the barrel and. A couple of different people came up with different ideas of guns with multiple barrels. Yes, yes. Um, Actually, I was going to mention a different person. Sure. But, uh, it, it was a little different. If And I hadn't ever heard of this person before. Uh, his name was James Puckle. Did you run across this? I did not. This fellow? Uh, he was a British fellow and uh, came up with a flintlock weapon in around 1718 that does resemble the Gatling gun, sort of, but it actually looks more like... A, a revolver rifle. Mm-hmm. It had, okay. you know, and, and it was an attempt to do that, but unfortunately, being a flintlock weapon, it was, it just really was not very practical. Um, uh, but there was an attempt to do that, uh, you know, once, once the percussion caps. And I, I realized too that we left out another invention that was ne- uh, necessity for making this happen. What's that? Smokeless powder. We yeah. didn't talk about that. That's true. But it, it was a, a uh, an important development in making cartridges. Right. Uh, because with the earlier versions of gunpowder, uh, it, it uh, burned irregularly, from what right. I understand. Mm-hmm. And uh, once smokeless powder was invented, the combustion of the gunpowder was a lot more even. It made uh, cartridge weapons a lot more practical. Not to mention the fact that if you had any sort of weapon that could fire multiple times in, in, uh, you know, in a few minutes... Uh, you had the 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 real, very real problem of if you don't have smokeless gunpowder, mm-hmm. you can't see what you're shooting at. There's that. Yeah, because uh, if you ever see a reenactment where people are using muzzle-loaded weapons, you'll notice there's an awful lot of smoke that comes out of those. Oh things. yes, yes. Well, they they uh, do that. I think especially for. 
the reenactment value of that so that you can get an idea of what it was like at the time. Sure. Um, but however, it is awfully cloudy. Are we now ready to speak of Mr. Gatling? Sure. So Richard Jordan Gatling, mm-hmm. he comes up with this invention in 1862. Yep. So, so this is during the Civil War. He actually uh, he pitched this idea to President Lincoln, uh, saying that it was, again, a weapon that would uh, help crush the rebellion. Mm-hmm. Um, so at, with this weapon, never mind. I was going to make a Star Wars reference. We're just going to move on. So anyway, the, the Gatling gun, the original Gatling gun had six barrels. Uh, right. But Gatling guns came in varieties of six to ten barrels, depending mm-hmm. upon when, when, which model you're talking about. Right. Uh, yeah. Britannica told me, uh, or what, it didn't tell me anything. Right. <laughs> um, from the... Uh, the article in uh, Britannica it suggested that it were ten initially, and and used paper cartridges initially, and in the early experiments that he was doing with it. Right. Yeah. And we should also point out that that these gu- these guns weren't really used in the Civil War very much, other than in a couple of demonstrations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, they they weren't widely distributed. So the Gatling gun really had its first major use worldwide, anyway, in World War One. Mm-hmm. But the the uh, you also occasionally see them in, in great westerns. True, but the the idea here is that you have six to ten barrels on this on this rotating shaft. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, each barrel has its own spring loaded firing pin. Right. So there's not one firing pin at the at the firing position. There are six to ten, however many barrels there are. Right, but you do have to have something to strike that firing pin. Yeah. Well, kind of. The way the well, it has a, the the Gatling gun has a groove in it, right? A groove cut in it, so that when you are turning the crank, it is a crank turned gun as well. Yes, it's the original one was uh, hand turned. Yes, so uh, it was not an automatic weapon. You would actually turn a crank, kind of like if you've ever seen uh, images of the um, the old movie cameras that were hand cranked. Mm-hmm. Same sort of principle here. You're hand cranking this gun, which is rotating the barrels. As the barrels rotate, the firing pins inside the the barrels are actually being compressed because there's a groove that's cut into the um the the gun itself right the as you turn it the firing pin gets pushed uh so that the spring inside the firing pin is under tension it reaches a point where there's a release the firing pin fires forward hits the cartridge and a gun a bullet flies out of the the barrel oh okay yeah I hadn't seen it exactly that way, but yeah, yeah, that I, makes sense. I had to I had to watch several videos to really get a good grip on it, and it's <laughs> it's actually pretty cool. the the it, The way that you would load the Gatling gun is you would use a hopper, mm-hmm. and a hopper is a container that just holds cartridges, and it's gravity fed. Right. So on one side of the Gatling gun, let's say let's for the argument's sake, we'll say that you're in the firing position, so you're behind the Gatling gun, mm-hmm. and let's say for argument's sake, the hopper's on the left side. Right. So what would happen is when you turn the crank, uh, from your perspective, the gun turns in a clockwise position. Uh, so at around, I'd say, the, the 9 o'clock position, mm-hmm. uh, or, or maybe even 10 o'clock, I guess, 10 o'clock position, a cartridge feeds into the barrel. Mm-hmm. You turn the crank, and as you're turning the crank, that firing pin is moving further back until it reaches 12 o'clock, and then it fires. Right. You fire the bullet forward. You keep turning the crank. As the barrels move over to, say, the, well, by, at least by the 6 o'clock position, mm-hmm. the, the empty cartridge falls out of the breech. Right. So you don't have to take the empty cartridges out. It does it. It just the gravity, it will do that for you. Gravity loads it and gravity unloads it. Yes. 
and then you just turn that crank and really uh, the earliest one I think fired around 200 rounds per minute and then mm-hmm. they later got up to around 360 per minute yeah yeah I uh, I did read in uh, also again in Britannica that uh, you know more modern versions of the weapon can fire as many as 3,000 rounds per minute right yeah but that's using a mechanical system right the chain trying guns. to do it yeah trying to do it by hand you're not going to get that speed no if you get that fast then you're probably working on the Justice League of America <laughs> Except so. you wouldn't need a gun. Well, least, yeah. You know. Yeah. D- don't. Hey, you know, I'm just coming up with ideas here. So, uh, I'm sorry, you were about to say something. No, no, no. I was going to say that that really the next cool uh, development in guns, and I'm not going to go much further past this because there's really no point, mm-hmm. uh, would be the, the Maxim gun. Okay. By Hiram Maxim. Right. Uh-huh. He was the one who invented the first automatic machine gun, which could fire 500 rounds per minute. Right. And that was around it, 1884. And his big development was that he thought, hey, there's a lot of energy that gets released when you fire a, a bullet from a cartridge. Mm-hmm. There's the energy that pushes the bullet out of the barrel of the gun, and, and that's a lot. What if we were to harness that energy in such a way that it would cock the gun for you so mm-hmm. that it would be ready to fire again? Right. And that was the basis that, that set the stage for the automatic machine gun. And there's several different ways to achieve this effect. Uh, yes. But... That's that's the basis. Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, that that you know that's basically a gas operated uh, weapon. Yeah. Because the gas uh, basically is another tube, an outlet that helps uh, achieve that effect. And uh, it, the majority of machine guns today use that. There's also the blowback and recoil methods. Yes. Uh, in the recoil method, both the uh, the bolt and the barrel uh, travel together. When yeah, which the, uh, is hard for me to imagine. I yeah. need to. I really need to see that because I, I, I know the barrel can travel within the gun, which is really confusing to me. When the weapon fires, the bolt goes with the barrel, and they recoil together. Gotcha. But the barrel keeps it snaps back, and the bolt stays put. So ah. it automatically pushes it with it, from what I, I understand. I see. And then uh, blowback is basically the force of the explosion uh, of the gunpowder um, pushing the bolt back for you. Right. Um, and that forces the spring to compress, and it's basically ready to fire again, but it's not as efficient as the, the gas-operated. Yeah, the gas-operated one actually weapons. has a piston. Yes. There's an, uh, there's an additional piston. If you think about the barrel of the gun, like if you were to look at a cross-section of a machine gun, mm-hmm. you would have the barrel of the gun as one big tube. You would have a parallel tube that was slightly smaller that has a piston in it. And at the very end of, or near the end of that tube, it would be an opening into the barrel. Mm-hmm. The gases from the escaping uh, uh, gunpowder, the escaping es- explosion, would push the piston back, which cocks the gun. Mm-hmm. And this happens incredibly fast. I mean, we were talking just a second, 500 rounds per minute being the, the early one. Yeah. And yeah, all it takes is just it, that piston moving back and uh, and cocking the gun again, and it's ready to fire. Mm-hmm. And you had multiple ways of, of loading these guns. There were the, the hopper systems and the gravity-based systems where the, the, the cartridges would essentially fall into place. Mm-hmm. And then later you had things like belt feeding systems. And, right, right, and, which uh, is- how, clips. Yeah, which is how many of the, the weapons are are loaded now. So it's it, they really these developments really made the Gatling gun obsolete, more right. or less. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, once you get to something like the Tommy gun, yeah, where you can carry around what is effectively the same as a Gatling gun, it's pretty. 
Yeah, game over. Yeah. Uh, and even with the Gatling gun, like, that helped avoid some of the problems of the earlier machine guns, the ones about the, the barrels overheating and, and becoming too weak. Mm-hmm. But even with the Gatling gun, you had different ways of cooling the barrels down so that they didn't get too hot too quickly. Yes. Because if you did fire that into a sustained fire for too long, uh, it could weaken the, the metal enough so that there could be an explosion. Mm-hmm. Uh, your gun could totally fail yeah. and uh, and possibly injure or kill the, the operator. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I hope that that uh, answers your question, Damon. The, the Gatling gun is pretty uh, a pretty interesting device. And we actually have an article on HowStuffWorks.com about how machine guns work. There's an entire section dedicated just to the Gatling gun, mm-hmm. including an animation that kind of shows this firing pin mechanism. So if you thought that was a little confusing, I recommend you go and you look at that article because it is very helpful. Yeah, it is nice to see it in action if you're really trying to get an idea of, of what we're talking about as far as the mechanism goes and how it works. Right. So keep those questions coming in, guys. And uh, we're finding a lot of questions coming in through Twitter and Facebook, which is great. Those are really easy for us to keep track of. Email is actually a little trickier just because we get so much mail from so many different sources. It's also easy to answer the the quick 30-second questions in those forums, too. Yes, yes. And if we don't know the answer, somebody else will. So if you're on Twitter or on Facebook and you're not already following us, fix that. We're Tech Stuff HSW, both on Twitter and Facebook, and uh, and we're we're building a pretty good community in both. Uh, we're actually getting some some cool uh, contributions just from our, our listeners, where uh, some great conversations are popping up. So please, come join that, be part of that. If you do still want to contact us the old-fashioned way, you can. That's more than acceptable. Our email address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com, and Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. If you're a Tech Stuff fan, be sure to check us out on Twitter. Tech Stuff HSW is our handle, and you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash techstuffhsw. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog, now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex-
National Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Dot com slash compatibility.